This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Lanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, Cal Fussman. How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Just just learned about Garden of the Gods from Jason, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, man. Uh, for me, this is a, this is a real big episode because uh, I've mentioned you on here a couple of times. Is attributed a lot of my own ability to do things and uh, how I've transformed myself from somebody who used to think they were, you know, only an entertainer in terms of music and acting, this and that, to to what I've become in, in the business world and what I'm still becoming and still growing and still learning. And uh, I have the benefit of both interacting with a lot of people in business like Jason and the community that he has, and then with people like you and the work that you do. And I've been there in person. So I'd like to make this episode a little different with the sense of uh, an emphasis, I think, on what most entrepreneurs have to deal with on a regular basis. And that's transformation of an industry, transformation of themselves to overcome it, to get to the next level. We've spoken on here at length about how one cannot grow beyond their own self-image in order to grow your business. You got to develop yourself, personal development, something that Jason and I have touched on a lot in the show. So with that said, I first want to ask you our traditional question. And I, I have an idea of the answer, but it's our traditional starting off question. Do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs? I, I am coming to understand that I am an entrepreneur, but it took me a long time to figure that out because when I was young, we didn't know about entrepreneurs. Like back in in the in the sixties and in the seventies, you got out of high school, went to college with the idea of getting a job. Nobody I knew thought I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to invent something and change the world. It, it was it, it was unheard of. And I think that it really got ramped up in the early 2000s. So by that point, I was well established in my career, uh, even though many of the plays that I moved were entrepreneurial. I was a magazine writer for a while. I traveled around the world. I was always moving from gig to gig. So it wasn't like I had one job that I was just following like a lot of people did on their career path years ago. So I was more entrepreneurial, but never a pure-blooded entrepreneur. And maybe I'm working toward that. It's a beautiful thing because they change the world. Yeah. I mean, it is. We talked about this a lot on the show, too. Uh, the idea of how rock star and Hollywood entrepreneurship has become 
But at a fundamental level, running a business, raising capital, changing an industry, innovation, and, and completely revamping what somebody thought was possible in the marketplace, that's always been around. Just we didn't have the, the notoriety and the rock star platform for it. But you've done something interesting with your career that I've seen firsthand. And that is, uh, for example, businesses right? We'll start in an industry and, and Jason's a, a master of this. He works with a lot of companies helping them scale or pivot, right? A, a lot of them will refuse to change industry, change what they've built so much. They've invested so much money and so much time and refuse to jump ship and move over to something else for the sake of being aligned with their values and principles and what they think is possible, right? But you, you, you not only have had a long tenure with interviewing some of the greats of the last couple of decades, right? That alone is like most people's careers, like ambitions, right? And, and you did that and then jumped into the world of podcasting and did it again with even more people who are changing the game from, let's just say it's Kobe Bryant as one example, right? You name it. You've talked to those guys. You've been there. You've been in that room with those ladies and gents. And then something happened. You decided that the work you were doing, while it was interesting, and I'm sure gratifying to some degree, it wasn't purpose-driven. There was no double bottom line to it. You decided to pivot, to transform, to reinvent yourself. I want you to tell me about the moment that you realized the work you needed to do needed to have more than just big names attached to it. Well, I, I think it's important to just start back with the, the essence of that pivot, uh, which actually happened to me when I was six years old. And uh, it's a little story that goes with it. Uh, and I think it'll help understand how in a single moment, you can be in a different place in life, even like starting at six or seven years old. In fact, I had just turned seven when this happened to me. It was a day in November 1963, Friday afternoon. And I, if you can imagine, shortest guy in the class sitting in the middle, looking up at the teacher, Miss Jaffe. She leaves the room for a second, comes back a completely different person. Talk about transformations. She was blanched. Same clothes, but her skin was really white. And she started talking in a way that was so careful. It was almost scary. And she told us that President John F. Kennedy had been shot. Well, we were let out of school. Everybody ran home. We got to the TVs. And Walter Cronkite told us all that President John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. And that the vice president, Lyndon B. Johnson, had taken the oath of office and was our new president. Now, I had just turned seven years old, like a week before. Uh, I'd never really dealt with death. My parents didn't know how I was going to take it. It was all the country was talking about. The whole country was flipped on its head. So they brought me over to the kitchen table and I said, Cal, we want you to know it is a terrible thing that's happened today, but it's happened before in our country's history. And there is a process in place 
to work through this. And that's why, as you know, Lyndon B. Johnson, the vice president, is the new president. And tomorrow, when you wake up, you're going to have breakfast just like you did last Saturday. You're going to go out and play just like you did last Saturday. So we want you to know tonight you can get a good night's sleep because after a while, things are going to return to normal. So they go over to talk to my brother. I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and this will show you how naive I was. I thought if you had a middle initial, that meant you were going to get to be president. Because the only people I ever heard of with middle initials were presidents, you know, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Harry S. Truman, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And so I'm sitting there thinking, this guy, Lyndon B. Johnson, he knew he was going to be the president. Like, is he happy that he's the president? Is he sad that he's the president? Because the only reason he's president is because of the assassination. And then I thought, oh, man, maybe he's scared to be president because they might try and kill him, too. So I was trying to understand what was going on in Lyndon B. Johnson's mind when he took this oath of office and I couldn't figure it out. So I picked up a piece of paper, pen, and I just started writing, dear President Johnson, how does it feel? And I asked him if he was happy he was president, if he was sad, if he was scared. And wished him well. And the timing was perfect because we had just learned how to address and stamp an envelope in school. I knew where the stamps in the envelope were. Walked over, addressed it, President Lyndon B. Johnson, the White House, put my return address in the top left-hand corner, licked the stamp. That's how we used to do it. Put the stamp in the right-hand corner and put the letter in my pocket. Didn't tell anybody about it. I was not trying to be Secretary of State one day. I just wanted to know what this guy was thinking. And so the next day I go out and before I go off to play, I walk over to the mailbox, drop the envelope in the mailbox. And after a while, pretty much forgot about it. About six months later, my mom comes racing into our apartment with an envelope in her right hand from the White House, from the president (laughs) addressed to me. And it was this amazing letter because it wasn't written to a a seven-year-old. It was written with dignity. And I knew that when you got to the second sentence and it started something like, in answer to your query, and I had no idea what a query was, but I did know that our apartment was filling up with people and the principal of the school, my elementary school, heard about it. And he was calling, asking me to bring it to school. And very suddenly, the littlest guy in his class was a big man. And I knew that a single question could get you to the most powerful person on earth. And that is the thread that has followed all of the pivots, reinventions uh, in my life so that wherever I go, you can always find that moment in it, whether I went to work on a newspaper, which I did out of college, and my dream was to be a columnist and uh, 
I did. I saw my picture above the column in a newspaper, and then I went to magazines in New York and was at the bar throwing back shots with the gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson. And then uh, I took off for 10 years around the world to travel. I didn't start the trip thinking it would be 10 years. It just took off. And it just evolved into this experience. And yet at the same time, it had the same thread that you found back on that day in 1963, because I would get on buses and just start to ask people questions. And I I needed to get into conversations because I had very little money. And so I'd get on buses and trains and sit next to someone I thought I could trust in the hope that once the conversation got going, they would trust me enough to invite me home for dinner or maybe even let me stay the night so I could keep the trip going. And usually when they did, they invited friends and family, a party started, and pretty soon everybody was passing me around the world. So... The interesting thing about that is when I came back to the United States and I started working with Esquire, interviewing the icons of the last 75 years, I took that same sort of feeling into the interview that I did in Hungary or the middle of Peru, Africa, wherever I was, into interviews with Mikhail Gorbachev or Muhammad Ali or George Clooney, or Leonardo DiCaprio, or supermodels. And it was very different style from what they were accustomed to. And so when it appeared on the pages of Esquire, it was totally different than anybody had ever seen before. And even after I started to take that into public speaking as a keynote speaker, uh, I was talking about the power of questions. I was talking about the power of storytelling. And so I was just following along on the same thread, even though I'm in different places. And then COVID hit and knocked me off the stage. And at that point, I had started a podcast and I just felt like the question that needed to be asked was about healthcare. So I just started asking questions about healthcare and it's completely taken my life into new places. And when I got started, I knew very little about it. Now you get me going, I'll tell you how 120,000 physicians are gonna retire in the next three years. We're short a million nurses, could be 1.5 million by 2030. I, you get me going, I'm, it'll be nonstop. Uh, and I see how, you know, the, the system, if that's what it is, is in trouble. And it really needs the outsider, the entrepreneur to come in and help reshape it. And and week after week on my podcast, Big Questions, you hear the stories of entrepreneurs. 
who are coming from the outside with new ways of looking at old problems. And, and so it's taking me into a place where entrepreneurship thrives, while at the same time, it's kind of pushing me to be more and more entrepreneurial because now I have to turn this into something that is going to make the world a better place and make a living out of it. And so it it really does come from that same thread and lead to entrepreneurship. So your question is right on point. Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, this is why I knew it was going to be an awesome time inviting you over because uh, one of the things I think most people uh, don't get a chance to experience often is the power of a, of a genuinely honest and good story, just that at a bare minimum. Uh, and and thank you for taking the time to break it down and take us on that journey. It's a super important lesson, I think, for all businesses, uh, business owners to know about. But now you, you're adding to it uh, with the focus on actually solving a real problem, which is anyone in business knows, unless you're solving a real problem, it's going to be an uh, uphill battle to stay in business and to be in business. The the caveat to that is the business that you're going into is a really interesting space. It's the healthcare space. And unless you're for profit, it really is going to be an uphill battle to, to change that. As I've, as I've spoken to people and as I talk to entrepreneurs, I see that for profits stand to be in a better position to actually do something about something than nonprofits, at least from what I've gathered so far. Um, but before I go any further, I want to give a chance to Jason to chime in with a question or two. I'm sure he's curious about a couple of things that you've said. Uh, so before I go any further, let me hand it over to Jason. I'm right. not. I, I'm not curious. What I am is, I almost feel like I could replace my journey with yours just in a different time. That's all. Um, because How would that I've be? well, well, I've had this opportunity. I, I grew up as a kid, very curious and, and uh, on a farm and all these things. Right. And, and I always had these questions, these burning questions were always in my mind. And, and people were like, God, would you stop asking so many questions? Right. Cause I was that kid that always asked questions all the time. And I still do. I still ask a lot of questions and you know, then I, I, I grew up and I was in the military and I traveled the world and, uh, you know, so many experiences happened during that time. I, I had wonderful experiences with, uh, most people wouldn't say being in war is wonderful, but I mean, I had wonderful experiences to meet, you know, leaders of countries and be able to say, I got to speak and mentor them somehow, right? Through, through a time they were going through. And, you know, just all those things being able to, you know, shape leaders throughout my military career and do all these things. And you did the same thing. It was just like a, a, a little different sliver. That's all, right? And... It, it's it's wonderful to 
be able to align stories that are, are just, they're a little bit different, but the narrative is very much the same. And, and I think entrepreneurship does that. Entrepreneurship does that or business. There's a lot of titles for it, business owners, entrepreneurship, uh, whatever it might be. But I think it brings us all together in that thread somewhere where all of us that are in that entrepreneurial space have crossed at some point and our stories align because we all were on the same goal of making the world a better place. So that was a wonderful story. And I just, I felt myself leaning in to listen further as you told it. And thank you for telling that. Well, one of the things that I do, and uh, now I'm able to do this in healthcare because Mm -hmm. as you know, not every entrepreneur is a natural born storyteller. And a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs now are numbers people. You know, they their sense of invention is coming through mastering computer code. <laughs> but they still have to articulate their vision. They still have to emote their vision in a way that is going to make people lean in. And so that's one of the things I'm doing is I'm I'm working with people who need a little help to get people to lean in and to understand there is a process to telling a story uh, that goes back to the ancient Greeks. And it needs to be followed. Because if you start veering off course, there's going to be a lot of static. You're going to lose people's attention. If you drone on about one particular topic and just go too deep or lose people, they're going to back off. They may not be leaning in. So keeping people leaning in is a really important skill. And it's, it's one of the things that I do in my workshop, and it's one of the ways that I'm helping people in healthcare tell their stories so that they can execute their visions. Yeah, man. I think it reminds me, and I don't, I don't remember exactly the same, but there's a saying something about the, the Irish bars and the reason why they speak so low or what have you is so that you have to lean in while they're talking, I think was the phrase. <laughs> so something along those lines, but there is something to that. And in particular in healthcare, uh, one of the things I learned even through, through listening to your work on your show is, is how many people's stories are being untold. And uh, one of the things this show has been trying to do is tell the stories of the people doing good work in general in business. And you can tell the difference between the people who, who have gone through the heartache uh, that is entrepreneurship and you know the failure that is inevitable, uh, the peaks and valleys, and then how they come out on top only to reach a level of abundance that then necessitates for them to actually give back in order to feel like they're growing. And I feel strongly that what has happened with all with a lot of the work that you've done and the the success that you've been able to accumulate 
uh, that you've reached a place, I think, where the only way forward is to be able to give back in the way that you're doing right now. Uh, and you shared a few of the stats, but I, I, from what I remember, some of the episodes you have, there are actual people who were in, let's say, like working for Uber at some point that then took all those skills and, and created an application that is literally something anyone in healthcare could have done, but no one in healthcare did because they're in healthcare. That's- and this is important for business owners, right? It's it's hugely important. And one thing I'm noticing is how many of these companies are started by outsiders who were doing perfectly well where they were, and then something happened in the life of a family member, in the life of a friend, and they just chucked what they were doing behind and moved forward toward this sense of purpose. And so I'm, I'm with them. I'm, I'm looking for them and I want to help them craft their story, get it out there. And touching on your point about abundance and giving back, it actually is leading me toward a, a place. I've been having these crazy experiences where I'll meet somebody who come on the podcast and he gave 4,000, talk about abundance and giving back. He gave 4,000 high school seniors in Chicago, low-income area, kids who weren't going to go to school, uh, go to college. He gave them all scholarships, just went on a stage head huge assemblies called, would go on stage and said, you're all going to college. And in the midst of celebration, he said, and you know what? If your parents want to go to college, they can go to college too. It's on me. Wow. Uh, And so uh, I'm talking to him and I'm thinking, you know, I was thinking maybe I can help one kid through medical school. That would be a cool thing for my podcast to do. And he said to me, one, you got to You got to lift your game, brother. (laughs) And by the end of the podcast, he made me play. He didn't make me. He motivated me to pledge to put 50 kids, one from each state, through medical school, through my podcast. How the hell I'm going to do this? (laughs) I have no idea. I don't own any mountains. I'm just getting my own kids out of school. But (laughs) I am off on the journey. And you know what? I actually, at the same time, came across a way to like help me finance this because I've been giving these keynote speeches about my experiences with Gorbachev and Ali and Robert De Niro and Jeff Bezos. And through a bunch of crazy serendipitous moments, uh, I was asked to speak uh, for a CEO of a healthcare company and an executive team. And I kind of reconfigured the talk I've been given. It had all the essentials of storytelling in it, but it focused on the hugs that I had gotten through many of this experience and the the timing about it 
was so perfect because in the last two years, it seems like the hug has been taken away from us. And these stories and the stories that I asked the people in the room to tell one another at the next lunch were an incredible way to bring a team of people together. It was astonishing. It's the best thing I've ever done. And so I, I now feel like I have something that can really benefit uh, almost any company that wants to bring its team, its people together, uh, because through storytelling, making people lean in, and through the thoughts about what we've lost in the last two years, this connectivity to a basic story of a hug that we all have. I'll bet you if I ask you right now, Jason, you'll have an amazing story about an impactful hug that you gave in your life. Just and this morning, to be exact. Really? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you want to tell it or are you going to? Sure, sure. All right, I'll go it. ahead. Go ahead, brother. So so this morning, so this morning was an early morning for me, right? And uh, so I'd walked out of the house and came down to my office, got everything fired up, realized I forgot my water bottle, run upstairs. And my son is laying on the floor and his nose is bleeding. And nobody else is awake in the house. So imagine you wake up, you come upstairs, the house is silent, and your son is laying there with a bloody nose. Just happened, right? And he said, well, yeah, Dad, I ran out of the room, and I uh, hit my face on the credenza right by the door. I just smacked on the credenza. <clears throat> And but before that even happened, I walked in the door and he quickly popped up and he's a boy, right? So he's like, you know, I'm going to be strong from dad, you know? And I could just see it was just building, waiting to happen. And I go, come here, boy. And he comes and just wham hard, you know, big hard hug. And just I felt the emotions just run right through my face down my whole body and it it was the most amazing feeling to have that be able to embrace that and just feel that love come out and it be reciprocating and i mean i got i was just almost weeping myself right because our fathers taught us you got to be hard and well, I'm not like that with him, right? It's very much, you know, love. Love is love is what the world needs right now. Not, not all this, you know, be tough and strong and blah, 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 right? But I, it's inherently ingrained in him because he stood up and immediately, I'm good. <laughs> and then the second I gave him that little bit of permission, wow. right, he just... Ram, wham, and that big, huge hug and just let it all out. So 
I know what you're talking about because I just that, experienced man, it. Man, what timing. What timing. <laughs> yeah, right? Just this morning. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I want you to imagine, and, and this is the beauty of this exercise, uh, there are cultures where dads won't hug their sons. Mm-hmm. And cultures in the, in the Far East or whatever. And uh, can you imagine having emigrated to the United States, you keep that culture going and you're sitting in a room and you just hear a story like you told Jason. Mm-hmm. And you, this person has never hugged their kid and they hear that story. It, it's got to completely change or open the door to change the way they think about hugs mm-hmm. and think about closeness. And when you get 12 people uh, in a room all telling the stories, and they're all going to be very different, different parts that could be a hug that you get, could be from a mom, a dad, a friend, somebody that you didn't know. Could be from Madonna, because I actually heard a story of a guy who was like a regular guy who got a hug from Madonna. And it just makes you think about the power of this very essential body movement. And it's been yanked away from us for two years. And and so I now have this talk that I can go out and give and bring people together in the time of the great resignation, the great reshuffle, whatever you want to call it, to bring people back together and make teams stronger. So uh, that's the the side of me that is an entrepreneur. I have I have something that can can solve this problem for any manager, any CEO that wants to bring his team together, wants to bring his company together. I can do it in front of thousands of people and have people interviewing or telling their stories uh, to one another uh, and getting the same impact. So so that's. That's where I'm going. I'm able to solve a problem while hopefully creating the abundance to send 50 kids off to medical school. And not only that, we haven't talked about it, but I want to train. God, this is the war room. This is perfect. I've not even told anybody about this. <laughs> I have... I. I, I I only mentioned this yesterday on a podcast I got coming out next week. I want to train an army of eight-year-olds how to interview. And for those eight-year-olds to go to people who have health problems, maybe who are obese. We have a big obesity problem here. And you're coming from the military this statistic may resonate with you. Only 23% of Americans of the age to get into the military 
are in the physical and mental health to be able to go in. Now, can you imagine if we had this army of eight-year-olds going out and talking to people who were really overweight and just asking them, like, how did this happen? And recording this and using this as a body of information so that like a whole young generation of kids could hear this and say, oh, man, I'm not going to let that happen to me. I'm going to go in the other direction. So these are some of the things that I, I plan on doing. And I hope to get it off the ground with this. Uh, storytelling workshop uh, that spreads the hugs, spreads the love. Now, and it's, it's kind of funny because I saw when you use the word love, a lot of times people in business, oh, I can, this can't be about love. We're in business. And yet, I, I would bet if you sat down with any CEO and asked them, to describe the most impactful hug they ever got or gave, it would be something that would really move their entire company. So the, the timing, timing is amazing. This just happened to you this morning. Mm -hmm. and, and so I feel so right about this. I remember interviewing Tom Hanks and he told me, God, another military uh, backdrop on this. <laughs> he was saying how Forrest Gump came out at just the right time. If it had come out 10 years earlier or 10 years later, probably wouldn't have been that big a hit. It needed to come out in that place where we were all coming together as a nation over what had happened during the Vietnam War, where a soldier could go out and speak to hundreds of thousands of protesters in Washington. And uh, you remember the scene where Jenny calls out Forrest and uh, the two of them hug mm -hmm. in front of everybody. And, and that, was, that was a scene that worked because of that time. 10 years earlier, people might've thought it was ridiculous. Uh, so I think what I'm doing here and I'm following your lead with your story is timely and timeless and um, taking it out there and seeing where it goes. I, I love it. Here's why I love it. Because today, I mean, we're, we're I think it's healing, right? But but we still live in a really angry world. And all you got to do is just drive downtown to see that, right? I mean, it's very apparent when you're at a, a stoplight and it turns green and you just, you just put your foot on the gas to go and eight people behind you are already honking at you, right? So it, it is an angry world that we live in and we need more, more feeling of attachment because it's been missing for so long. And like, for me, that's why I stayed very attached to veterans groups and things like that, because that's what, that's what makes me feel good. Right. And a good buddy of mine, he's also a director in my company. 
And we were just in Colorado Springs. Here's another hug it, hug it out, right? Uh, we were just in Colorado <laughs> Springs at our yearly event. This was just, just happened uh, Sunday, Sunday morning, right? So we spent the weekend together and we never leave each other. We served together for 20 some years together and we never, ever leave a space. It's always a big, huge hug. Love you, brother. Period. And then we walk away and we might not talk again for a month or two. Right. But then, you know, I'll go see him. He'll come see me, whatever the case may be. And it's like, we picked up right where we left off. Right. You're on to something, brother. You're on to something. Uh, Well, you know what, when you, when you, here's, here's how I know how deep this goes. You are right now, at least 2,500 miles away from me. Mm-hmm. You're in Boulder. Mm-hmm. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And yet, you told that story about what happened to your son this morning and the hug that you gave him. And I felt that hug. I felt it through the internet. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't have to be in the same room to feel the hug. You didn't actually, we could have both been wearing masks and sitting like with two empty seats between us if we're in the same room. And I still would have felt the hug because that's the power of story. And and so I I think I'm very grateful that you pointed out the timing. You know, I, I until you said that, I didn't realize that every day I've been watching the television and I, the other day I saw a story about a peewee football game and like one of the coaches getting shot at the game. I, and you just start wondering like, what what is going on here? But it's that level of anger that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's underneath like everything that's going on in the country and, and in many cases, the world. And it, it just, it needs, it needs to be tempered by the power of a hug or our self-awareness of that power. And so I'm going to try and do my best with it. And I'm going to try and do my best being an entrepreneur with it. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, man. I mean, I knew this was going to be a fascinating conversation going into it, but you just never know what to expect uh, when you bring this level of thought, this level of experience, this level of energy into a room. And uh, you're right. A hundred percent. I mean, people have tried to make movies that address this, like the movie Crash where they talk about, you know, sometimes you've gone for so long without any actual real love thrown in your direction that you're willing to be violent just to feel anything at all. And I believe it's apparent in the times that we're in right now. Uh, with everything you look, it looks like everyone is throwing out a cry for help in one way or another. Uh, sometimes people don't know how to get themselves under control, and so they hope that someone else in society will. And it's it's hard to watch, but it it also makes me feel a lot better about being in the world, knowing that there are people like you that are out there trying to start 
to initiate, to give permission to people, as we as we so aptly put in this episode, to to be okay with expressing a little love and to find the moment. And that you probably all all of us have had one of those today. You know, did somebody that you love call you? Did they think to call you today to send you a message? That in itself is the very same thing, and yet we can get caught up in our hustle and bustle and trying to, you know, fill the bottom line, uh, fill in the pipeline, fill in the blank with whatever ambition you have, and you forget that it's those things that we started doing all this for to begin with. And so, again, I'm so grateful that you're here to do that. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful to you all because you, you pushed my thinking to new places. And um, I leave more excited uh, to head off on this journey. Uh, I've done it, so I know it works. And the more of this kind of feedback I get, uh, the more wind I feel is at my back. And I feel like I got a mountain wind from Boulder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other beauty behind it, Cal, kindness is free, brother. It's free. Costs nothing. Yeah, man. <laughs> Costs nothing to be kind. There you go. <laughs> I, I I think it really is. It gets to a place of awareness uh, when you're you've been pushed and pushed and pushed to irritable places for for years. You you lose some awareness of what it used to be before you were pushed that way. Mm-hmm. And just reinstalling in some way, whether it's through an actual physical hug or through the telling of a story about a hug, if, if enough of that was was used, you could really, I know I've seen it change a room. Uh, and what could a room change? And just keep building off those people. So I, I have a sense that this could become exponential. And I am really happy we had this conversation uh, because really got the fuse lit got me ready to go i feel like we got the exclusive there yeah. you, yeah. you do you know, <laughs> this stuff is happening has been happening yeah. to me like almost by the day sort of like the story about the hug you told this morning it's like yeah. it's fresh off the presses <laughs> <laughs> So uh, this is the exclusive, and uh, thank you for helping me pass on the message, and please take it to great places. Yeah, man. I mean, this is an all-time high to be able to put content like this in front of people who are out there every day looking to make the world a better place through business, which is what this community is really founded on. A story like this it's going to resonate and it's going to ring that bell hard, man. And and that's what makes me most excited. So because of that, if, if I could borrow, there's a few things that we do on the show. One of them being, uh, if you could go back to, let's say the six-year-old uh, who wrote that letter 
now with what you know about life and the power of questions or even even the guy who just showed up to the magazine and finally saw his picture there on the column what would you say to those people to the kid or to the the guy at the column now uh, about what you know now about the power of the work you've been doing and storytelling i would say keep going don't see success as an a finish line it really is about a little like what you were talking about before you you go to a place that you were looking toward but then you get there and you realize that there's something even cooler down the road so it's always be prepared to pivot towards something that's going to energize you. Because I think the worst thing would be just to be in a a lonely place where you feel like you can't pivot and you can't go to someplace new. You can always go to someplace new, getting back to that original story, simply by asking yourself the question. Whatever that question is, a single question can change your life. It can open you up to all new horizons. And so maybe that piece of advice is just keep asking that question. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, there's nothing worse than the right answer to the wrong question. And uh, knowing what question to ask at any time that's that's the art that's that's the work that you that you've been able to to accomplish is how you even shape a good question do do you have any any sort of hard and fast rules on what makes a question a productive question well what you want to do with a question is use a word like why or what or how because that asks for an answer like how does it feel why did that happen or just the word why you know simon sinek <laughs> wrote a book and we're still talking about it after all this time Those words are where you want to start. And what you don't want to do is ask a question that is a yes or no question. Because then you can get a one-word answer, yes or no. And you're just basically closing the door to the answer. You don't want to start a question with, don't you think? that and then lay out some kind of judgment and ask people to either agree with it or disagree with it. What what you want to do is just give everybody a fresh landscape to produce their own answer. You know, give them a clear whiteboard. Uh, You don't have to load it up for them and make them follow along on what you want 
them to say is a simple three letters, W-H-Y, is going to make somebody stop and think, yeah, you know, why did I do that? And they may find out something about themselves that they didn't know if they asked that question. And so if you ask why, how, and what, you're likely to get good answers. And you know how I was telling you that I'm going to start this army. Amazing that it started in the war room. I'm going to start <laughs> this army of eight-year-olds to ask, learn to ask questions. That's one of the first things that I'm going to tell them. Just start with the word why. Start with the word how. Start with the word what. And you'll always be in the right direction. Now, this is what's going to make the grand finale so interesting. Uh, because uh, who the question that we always ask when we're making the grand finale, and, and let, me, let me frame this. The question that we always ask is, if you had your choice, who would you have loved to have invited here today to listen in on this conversation? And usually that question is enough. When you think about the fact that you've interviewed the, the icons of the last 75 years, right? It, it, we're, we're talking, you were, you were in the ring with Julio Cesar Chavez, right? You, you interviewed Muhammad Ali, which was one of your biggest ambitions really early on in your career. Like when someone like that, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, when someone like that has a career like that, a life like that, being able to talk to these people, now I ask the question again, if you had your way and you could bring anybody into this room today to hear what we talked about, who would you have loved to have had here and why? It's a little different. Okay. So it's, it's interesting because <laughs> I probably would have answered the question differently a day ago, much like the story of the hug would not have been able to be told a day ago. It just was able to be told only because it happened to you this morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, my answer to this is related to everything we've just talked about on this podcast. And I would love if we could have Socrates here with us right now, uh, the kind of the Greek father of questions and the Socratic method. And I'd love to ask him and have you all ask him questions about the way he thought about questions back in ancient Greece. Uh, because I can't say that I've learned it all. He might have a thing or two to tell me. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. When I think about the, even just trying to read uh, something like uh, Plato's Republic or, or what have you, or any of those things, and you hear about the way he navigated arguments, and people would come up with some of the greatest points, and he'd simply ask, well, how did you arrive to that conclusion? <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that? Why, why would you say that about this? And it was simply things like you said, and yet it drove people crazy. 
it, it would knock them off their feet that somebody would ask them that. And yet he had no problem. In it. I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you, you know, <laughs> and, and there's, there's the power to that humility. Yeah. I, I would love to, to have a back and forth with him about the power of questions. And so I'm glad you asked me that question uh, because as I think about this army of eight-year-olds, I'm going to see if I can somehow enlist Socrates to uh, come by my side and help educate them all. Well, you know, Think and Grow Rich talks about that. Uh, that book talks about creating a mastermind where in your, and we had someone on the show, uh, forgive me for not remembering his name, but uh, he was a really great guy, really great guest. He had some great stories, but he talks about how in that book, uh, I believe it was uh, one of the principles was this thing called the mastermind. And you don't always have to actually know the people, but if you know the qualities that they have and you spend time meditating on it, there's this idea of how you can tap into the ether, if you will, which is a running theme throughout that book of being able to adopt those characteristics because they believe that there's a perpetuity to the essence of people and, and the, and a universality to the way things and ideas manifest in the world. So I believe you, if anybody could channel Socrates, <laughs> I truly believe it would be you, Cal. Uh, and, and so with that, uh, I usually let Jason roll this out. And before we do, I want to make sure I ask, uh, where would you prefer for people to connect with you and what do you want them to know about connecting with you? Uh, well, they can always go to my website, calfussman.com. If you want to send me a message, uh, you can do so through calfussman.com. Uh, my podcast is called Big Questions. Uh, it's veered toward healthcare. And so if that's your interest, you'll see some of the outsiders who have come in to try and make changes. This week, we've got a pediatrician who's now working at Amazon, who went from the inside to the outside. And when you think about it, uh, and he's helping startups. And it's necessary because if you're completely from the outside and you've never been in healthcare before and are designing technology for it, you really need an insider and everything they know to help you implement. So there's a real balance between outside and inside that I'm also, I'm trying to bring into a hug so that everybody gets the best out of their experiences and their dreams and their wishes. And that, that's, that's where I'm going. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bringing hugs all over the world. I'll be like the Johnny Appleseed of hugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I never thought I'd say that in my entire life. Look what you've taken me to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long way from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, yeah. Cal, it's really, really been a pleasure. I'll let Jason roll this out. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, you know, there are times in your life when you knew conversations happened at the right time and the universe brought it at the right time 
today was it because there was too many indicators to say otherwise. <laughs> right. So if it would have been a day earlier, the conversation would have been the same or a day later. So it's like it all came together when it was supposed to. And that's what I love. I love that about life is it always tends to steer you where you need to go. Right. And for the most part, you know, the beauty, uh, I'm I'm just thinking of the deeper levels to the story you told. Mm -hmm. How old is your son? He's six. Okay. Six years old. I will bet he will remember the hug you gave him today for the rest of his life. And when he has kids, it will impact the way that he interacts with them. Yep. It, it's just so essential to our makeup as humans. And, and yet, nobody ever teaches this stuff in school. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm really glad that he got the message. I'm glad you gave him that hug. I'm really delighted we had this conversation. Thank you for putting the wind at my back. And let's see where it takes me. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to add now because I always say kindness is free. So I'm adding to my saying now, hugs and kindness are free. Hey, there you go. All right. (laughs) Thanks for being on, Cal. We appreciate you, my friend. Oh, thank you. And uh, hug everybody for me when you get home tonight. There it is. (laughs) For sure. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.